Let me turn you then to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. I read from verse 20 to 23. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Let's pray. Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit, you would come and enlighten us and teach us and strengthen our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. Fill our hearts in the midst of our sorrows and our griefs. Fill our hearts also with joy and hope and expectation as we await the coming of our Savior. Come then and be our teacher and instructor. And show us again your love and mercy and kindness to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Some months ago, I carried out a, an internet search on the subject of uncertainty. I found a site on the internet that when I read it, filled me with laughter and with great sorrow. That site advocated embracing uncertainty as one of the joys and one of the main joys of life and said in black and white print security and certainty is insipid it is something that is not to be entertained now of course there are uncertainties in all of our lives but this website said the only thing you can be certain of is uncertainty but they were going a stage further than that because they were saying, in effect, life is about not knowing anything for certain. You must embrace the moment, you must make the most of it, and you must not give way to anxiety, to fears, to doubts. There was no basis given for that. Presumably you just pushed those and tried to keep them at two or three arms length. The kind of thinking that was represented on that website filled me with trembling and sorrow. It's the result of 200 years or more of skepticism and unbelief flowing out of the age of reason, the enlightenment, and the pessimism and the skepticism that marks the philosophy of our age. It was desperately sad and tragic to read those things. Because it is an attempt to make the best of this world. A world seen by people who say those things. They are atheistic, they are humanistic, and they have no confidence whatsoever and no knowledge of God and of the love of God in Jesus Christ. But when you turn to your Bible, 
you immediately begin to breathe in, to inhale a very different atmosphere, a very different air. The Bible speaks in certain absolute terms. It is permeated by sureness. It is focused on the promises of God. And Paul says elsewhere to the Corinthians that the promises of God in Christ are yes and in him amen. You know what amen means. Let it be so. It is affirming the truth of the promises of God. And the promises of God permeate the entirety of the scriptures. Adoniram Judson, who went from this country to what was then Burma, is now uh, Myanmar. He is quoted as saying, my future is as bright as the promises of God. And that ought to be true for everyone who trusts in God and in Jesus Christ. But I say there is this atmosphere of certainty, this assurance of safety, this assurance of security. When you take refuge under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty, there is no one to compare with him. There is no one to compare with that refuge. The psalmist said, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That is the sure confidence of every true child of God. This morning, I want to consider with you a very appropriate passage, which is full of certainty, full of security, full of sureness. Absolute certainties from the pen of the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Gospel certainties, Christ-focused certainties. I want us to fix our oft-quivering minds and hearts on these things here this morning. I have three things, three certainties to set before you this morning. The first is this. The first certainty is that Jesus Christ remains alive forever following his resurrection from the dead. Paul has said in the earlier part of this letter, in the earlier part of this chapter, in chapter 15, in verses 3 and 4, he's spoken of the death of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. Then he rose again the third day from the dead according to the scriptures. These are things of first importance. They lie at the very heart of the gospel. But it appears that there were some in Corinth who were saying, there is no resurrection of the dead. They were striking at the very heart of the gospel. And the Apostle Paul cannot let that matter be left. And so he immediately, in verses 12 to 19, begins to answer those who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They were effectively saying then, well, when we die, that's it. There's no existence. There's no eternal life. When you die, what we say in our countries, you're done for. You're finished. You have no existence. Paul answers his 
these people in very clear and repeated fashion. He says, well, if Christ is not risen in the first place, then what will happen? Our preaching is a wasted effort. It's vain. It's empty. And so is your faith. You're undermining the very foundations of the gospel. And we apostles, we are, are then effectively liars. We're, we're testifying to you, but we effectively are false witnesses because we're saying Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead when in fact he has not been, according to your ideas. Your faith then is empty, it's futile. You're still in your sins. And he says, what about those who have already died? Those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. But he says there in verse 18, they've perished. They've perished. And he says then finally in verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men the most pitiable. We are in a miserable state and condition. We are deceived, and we have been deceived. We've followed lies. We've listened to false witnesses. But then note the contrast as we come to our text there in verse 20. It's a note of confidence. It's a certain note. It's one of the great buts of the Bible. But now, Christ is risen from the dead. That is a forceful statement on the part of the Apostle. He's not simply saying Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the third day after his uh, death. And it's a historical event. And it's something then is past history and without any present significance. He is saying much more than that. He is saying this Lord Jesus Christ who has been raised from the dead, is the living, risen Christ. He is permanently alive. Peter told his hearers when he preached on the day of Pentecost, look, he said, here's the tomb of David. He is dead. He was buried. But he went on to say then that Jesus Christ did not see corruption like David. You look in vain then for the tomb and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. God raised him from the dead. God has made this once crucified Jesus, Lord and Christ. Remember when our Lord Jesus Christ was here on the earth, he raised people from the dead. Jairus' daughter, the widow of Nain's son, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. And when he died on the cross, the tombs broke open and men and women walked out of those tombs and walked back into the city of Jerusalem. But we're not dealing with resurrection on that level. Because those people all died a second time. Jesus Christ is alive. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. 
In all things he has the preeminence. He is now exalted at the right hand of his Father on high. He has been given all power, all authority. He is permanently alive. He is risen today. He is alive. Death never swallowed Jesus Christ up. He never saw corruption like you and I and everybody else in this world. Paul wrote these words to the Romans. A very telling statement in Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. He speaks there of Jesus Christ. He's been promised before through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, verse 2. It concerns his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And then notice verse 4. And declared... To be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. God has declared him to be the Son of God with power. Proof, he has raised him from the dead. Now that does not mean to say that he was not the Son of God before he was raised from the dead. That would be completely wrong. He always was the Son of God. He always will be the Son of God. But it is, as it were, he entered into a new phase of his life and of his existence. Having died, been buried, God raised him from the dead and declared him then to be the Son of God with power. It was a vindication. It was a demonstration, a supernatural demonstration of the miraculous power of God. And the authority that he had invested in his son, Jesus Christ. So here then in verse 20, when the apostle is saying, now Christ is risen from the dead. He is affirming to us. The Holy Spirit is assuring us from his own word, his inspired and infallible word. What is crucial in the outworking of the salvation of millions who would come to believe upon Jesus Christ. The Christ has died and he is risen from the dead and he remains alive and will never ever die. I want you this morning with me then to lift up your eyes to behold the living Lord Jesus Christ and come with faith and with adoring wonder to gaze upon this Christ. I want to see my own faith strengthened. I want to help you. I want to seek with the Spirit's help to strengthen your faith and your hope in a world that is so insecure and so uncertain in its unbelief and in its lostness. I want you to focus with me upon Christ. Now in the earlier hour this morning, our brother Steve Hoffmeyer took us to Hebrews chapter 13 and the words then that relate to Jesus Christ, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I want to explain that a little bit further, take it a step further, because in, in what capacity are we to see Jesus Christ? How does Paul present him to us? Here is the second Certainty that is here then in this verse of scripture. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection harvest. 
When he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, how can that be? Well, it can be because he is the first fruits of the resurrection harvest. He is the first fruits, according to this text, of those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Far from perishing, Jesus Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. They have not perished, as some were suggesting. And then there are those in verse 23 who are spoken of as those who are Christ's at his coming. So there are those who have fallen asleep and there are those who are Christ's at his coming. Nobody can number that number apart from God. That is everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life, to use the language of Revelation. And to fall asleep in Christ is not to enter into some kind of no man's land where your spirit is sort of floating around in some some strange world. To fall asleep in Jesus is the safest way to die. It's the way of speaking which makes and uh, gives to us a great sense of comfort because when we die, we are in, as it were, the arms of Jesus. Picture a mother with a baby in her arms, seeking to soothe that child so that the child will then fall asleep. When a believer comes to die, you die safely in the arms of Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. You're safe, you're secure. Our brother Harry fell asleep in Jesus. Safe, secure. And all who belong to Christ, all who have heard the gospel of Christ, all who have believed, all who have repented of their sins, they belong to Christ. And when the time comes for you to leave this world, you will fall asleep in Jesus. That is, unless he comes first. There will be those who are alive at his coming. You see, the Apostle Paul here is not dealing with death and the general resurrection of all men and women who've ever lived. He's not dealing with the day of judgment specifically. He's not talking about the wheat and the tares or the sheep and the goats. He's only talking about the wheat. He's only talking about the sheep. He's talking about those who have fallen asleep in Christ and those who are Christ's at his coming. Here is being therefore more focused. Those who have received the preaching of the word and who stand and hold fast to Christ and to his word. And he's saying Jesus Christ is the first fruits of all those who have believed in every age, whether they fall asleep in Jesus or whether the future awaits and they are alive at his coming and everybody in between who dies. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is the first fruits? Well, if you know your Old Testament scriptures, you will know that there was a feast of first fruits. The reference is in Leviticus chapter 23. It's the first sheaves of corn that were brought then into the temple and offered to God. 
and the feast of first fruits was a consecration of the whole harvest represented by the first fruits. The, the rest of the harvest was guaranteed, but this was there's always a crop that ripens first ahead of everything else in the harvest. And he's saying, Well, Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. Paul uses the same phrase in 1 Corinthians 16. He talks of the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia. In other words, they were the first among many in the province of Achaia who came to believe in Jesus Christ. It's the same picture. Christ is the first fruits. But the fact that he is the first fruits guarantees there is going to be a resurrection harvest of all who have fallen asleep in Jesus and all who are his at his coming. It has to be. There is no question about it. And you see how the apostle emphasizes it and drives it home in the subsequent verses, verses 21 and 22. There are two statements there. Two statements about Adam and two statements about Christ. First of all, the statements about Adam. For since, verse 21, by man came death. And then verse 22, as in Adam all die. Sin and death, you know, were brought into this world by the disobedience of Adam and his wife Eve. By Adam's disobedience, judgment, condemnation, and death came upon the entire human race. But then look at the contrast. Look at the two statements concerning Jesus Christ, the first fruits. Verse 21 By man, that is, by Jesus Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. And then in verse 22, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. You see the parallel between Adam and Christ? You see the logic, the way in which he is reasoning. Sin and death by the first man, Adam. Life and resurrection, life by the second Adam, if you will, Jesus Christ. And the proof of those statements, Christ is the firstfruits. There is a great harvest yet to be gathered safely in. Every single one for whom Jesus Christ has shed his blood. Everyone for whom Jesus Christ has died. Every one of his sheep. Not one of them will be missing. He will gather them in. They die, but they do not die in vain. They fall asleep in Jesus. And the only reason is that Christ is the first fruits. That is how you are to see the Lord Jesus. In the capacity that he has as the first fruits of the resurrection harvest. That is a glorious certainty. That is an absolute statement that you can rely upon entirely. And that brings us then to the third gospel certainty. Paul explains now to us more fully, and I want to spell out the implications of this. 
for the third great certainty is that everyone in Christ then will be raised from the dead. You who have heard the preaching of the gospel, you who have believed upon Christ, you who have repented of your sins and received the forgiveness of your sins, who are justified by faith in Christ, who have peace with God, you who hold fast, you are not going to perish. You may die, you will fall asleep in Jesus, but you will not perish. You will not come under condemnation. You will not be lost. You will not be cast away. Jesus won't be as it were, and I don't mean to be irreverent, be looking for you and can't find you on the day when he returns. He knows exactly where you are. And in any case, what kind of salvation would it be if at the end of the day, death had the last word. Paul has hinted at that in verse, uh, verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, what kind of salvation, what kind of saviour is it who says, I'm going to save you from your sins, but then he cannot save us from the consequences of sins. The wages of sin is what? Death. So what kind of salvation, what kind of saviour is it who would save us only in this life and then death swallows us up? You recall the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in John's Gospel and chapter 6, verse 39. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing you remember what the next words are if you haven't turned to it? But should raise it up. When? At the last day. And again, verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. It's a very similar expression. An indication of the same truth in John chapter 10, where in verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, and I give them eternal life. Eternal life. In other words, death is not going to rob me of my sheep. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand i and my father are one you have a double certainty there jesus's promises and the promise he says with regard to his father you cannot be plucked from christ's hand or from the father's hand well when will these things take place when will this great resurrection harvest take place? Well, we are told very clearly in verse 23, at his coming. That is our earnest hope and expectation. That is what we are looking for, waiting for. It is the coming, it is the return of the risen, exalted Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul says in verse 23, there is a definite order, each in his own order. Who is the first? Who is the preeminent one? It is Christ, the first fruits. The rest of us, in our order. Afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. And how will that be? Well, he tells us later on in the chapter. So, for example, in verse 45, so it is written. And notice the contrast between Adam and Christ again. Verse 45, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. He is the first fruits. God then will bring this full harvest. God is the one who raised his son from the dead. God is the one who will raise you from the dead. And verse 49. We've borne the image of the man of dust. But we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Jesus Christ. We'll be conformed to his image. You will read on in that chapter to verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. Incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. That's when you will be vindicated. As one who has believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has vindicated his son, Jesus Christ. He's raised him from the dead. The day is coming. And what a day it will be. Thousands upon thousands. An innumerable company from all the nations of the world. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation will be raised from the dead and God will vindicate all his people who have trusted in him and in his son, Jesus Christ. You know what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy when he wrote there to to him one of his last letters that he wrote. He spoke of the, the coming, the appearing of Jesus Christ. And he says, he has saved us, he's called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has what? Abolished death and brought immortality and life to light through the gospel. And where do you see That he has abolished death. Where is that light? Where is that life? Where is it that immortality? It is in Christ the first fruits. That is the crucial thing. The crucial person. God has raised him from the dead. He is the first fruits of this great resurrection harvest. And that means that if you have put your trust in Christ. You will most certainly be raised from the dead on that day. That's the gospel. That's the hope of the gospel. Again, there were many verses I had to leave out. But Romans chapter 8, 
and verse 23 the Apostle Paul says there, We also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoption, the redemption of our body. Our body. You see then the process. You see the order. Christ first, then you, if you have believed upon Christ. And the marvel is that God in Christ has not entrusted your salvation from sin and death to you. It would never work, would it, anyway? You cannot deal with sin. You cannot deal with death. Neither has Jesus Christ entrusted it to anybody else. There's no deputy that he has appointed. You are his responsibility. You are his care. If he takes you, as a mother takes a baby in arms and rocks you to sleep and you fall asleep in Christ, he doesn't abandon you after that. He doesn't forget you. You belong to him. You fall asleep in Christ, never to be separated from him. So I ask you this morning a very simple question. Do you really believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and all that is implied in what the Apostle Paul says in this verse, that Christ is the firstfruits and then you who have believed, you will be part of that great harvest. A lot of Christians are troubled by those things and are not clear about those things. But if you are clear about those things and believe these things, then happy are you. You cannot be happier. You cannot be happier. All your hopes, all your expectations are all bound up with Jesus Christ, the first fruits. You can go on in faith. You have, in the words of Peter, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And you've begotten again to that hope. And there's an inheritance that is incorruptible. An inheritance that is undefiled. That does not fade away. And you are kept by the power of God. For salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. And what is that salvation ready to be revealed? The resurrection of all who have believed in Christ. Those things are absolutely certain. Christ is the guarantor. But what if you do not believe? I asked a question, do you believe? I'm sure there are some here this morning who don't believe in what I've just declared and what the Apostle Paul has declared here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I say to you with a heavy heart, your state is sad. Your condition is miserable because you are still dead in your sins. And without Christ, Christ, 
you will remain dead in your sins. Let me ask you, it doesn't matter whether you are young, whether you're older, there may be some of you here this morning, you're running away from God or trying to run away from God. Some of you may be trying that for a few years, some of you may be trying that for a long, long time. My friend, what do you hope to gain by running away from God? By running away from the Saviour of sinners? What can you do up against death? What can you do up against your sin? Your sin condemns you every single day. You are increasing your guilt. You are inviting the wrath of God down upon your head. You are walking the way that leads to hell. You have no friend like Jesus to save you. But he is the friend of sinners. He came into this world to save sinners. He knew how powerful death is. Death is a cruel foe. Death is powerful. Death is irresistible. It is called the king of terrors. And apart from Christ, your future is dark and bleak. Without Christ as your friend, without Christ as your saviour. Why then? Why? Why will you go on in your sins? Why will you die in your sins? What possible gain can that be to you? When here is Christ crucified for sinners. Christ buried and risen from the dead. Who gives eternal life to whoever trusts in him. You're going in a path of folly. This gospel of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and was buried and was risen the third day from the dead, this gospel is for everyone. This gospel is for you. I proclaim it to you and beseech you in the name of Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God here and now do not delay any further whoever calls upon the name of the lord jesus christ will be saved that means you if you call upon him today he will save you Amen. he has power he has authority he's died on the cross to atone for the sins of so many people you cannot count them but he's an all-sufficient saviour and he is the one who is the first fruits of the resurrection and he will take away your fear of death there may be someone so bold as to say I'm not afraid of death a number of people have said to me that over the years I've looked them as fair and square as I can in the eye and said my friend you do not understand what death is you do not understand what it is to stand before a holy God and have him point a finger of accusation at you, a just finger of accusation against you and condemn you because of the wickedness of your unbelief, your unthankfulness, your pride and a host of other sins.
before I finish this morning, I want to make sure that you who do believe understand precisely what Paul is saying here. Because I have found over the years that there is a tendency for Christians to be short-sighted and to think of their hope as principally in terms of what happens when they die. Now, don't make any mistake about this. To die is gain. Absolutely. To die is to depart and to be with Christ. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. But when you die, death is unnatural. Yes, Jesus Christ has removed the sting from death, but death is unnatural. It is an evil. It's an invader. And the fact that you must die means that death has not yet been fully conquered. Because what happens at death, body and spirit is separated. Your spirit goes to be with Christ, but what happens to your body? It's laid in the grave and returns to dust. So death has not yet been fully conquered. Which is why I say what the Apostle Paul is saying here is don't be short-sighted and fix your hope only upon death. Fix your hope upon Jesus Christ and his coming again in glory when he will join body and soul together once again and that body will be resurrected from the dead. It is not a death that death is fully conquered. It is that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Philippians and he spoke of that day. He told them that their citizenship was in heaven. And he says we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. That doesn't happen at death. We're waiting for his return. And then it will be conformed to his glorious body. According to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Then the cry will go up. Death is swallowed up in victory. But perhaps you may stand at the grave of a loved one. And as that body is lowered into the ground, you may say to yourself, I cannot believe that that body will rise from the dead. My friends, I've been there. It happened when my father died. I suddenly found myself full of unbelief and saying to myself, that is contrary to all reason. How can what is being laid there in the tomb, in the grave, how can that possibly rise from the dead? And it took me six months to work my way through the scriptures again in order to be assured what I should have done and what I didn't fully appreciate was that instead of looking down into the grave, I should have looked at Christ, the first fruits of the resurrection. And my doubts and fears would have been banished. Paul deals with that whole thing. He says, look, the, the body that you sow... The seed you sow is not what is reaped. 
and he gives a lot of illustrations as to what he means by that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I haven't time to go through those things with you. But the body that is sown, verse 42 of chapter 15, the body that is sown in corruption is raised in incorruption. Why? Because Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. Why? Because Christ, by his power, will raise you from the dead. The things then that the Apostle Paul is saying here are great comfort when we suffer, suffer the loss of loved ones. This is the only comfort we have. But what a comfort. What a comfort. I do not mean to be offhand when I say this, but the world is free to have all their uncertainties. It is tragic. It is tragic. But they are welcome to those uncertainties. Oh, that they would know the truth as it is in Christ. But the truth that we've been considering here this morning is of tremendous comfort when we suffer the loss of our loved ones. We all have to face that. We don't sorrow as the world sorrows. We sorrow. But we're not the victims of uncertainty. There is a joy and there is an anticipation. There is an expectation. There is a hope that is set before us. It is Jesus. The first fruits of the resurrection. How great he is. How great he is. He takes the sting out of death. He deprives sin and death of its power. He satisfied divine justice. He stripped the strong man of his power and set the prisoners free. He's taken from the destroyer's hand the keys of Hades and of death. They are in his hands. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. He, he has the keys of Hades and of death. And in Christ, the first fruits of the resurrection, you have a total, complete, and all-sufficient Savior and salvation. Jesus Christ is infinitely great. His mercy we cannot measure. He has loved us eternally. He has pitied us tenderly. He has suffered for us indescribably. But he has conquered our foe entirely. He has abolished death. I close with these words from Revelation 21. You remember, he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And what does that mean? What John has told us. He heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And then these wonderful words, God will wipe away every tear. Every tear. 
from their eyes. So what do you do with your children? You take your handkerchief, they've fallen, they're distressed, and you wipe away the tears. That's what God will do. And there will be no more death. No more death. Nor sorrow, nor crying, no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. Those who have fallen asleep in him and those who are his at his coming. What a saviour. Let's pray. Lord, we dare to believe these things because they have been revealed to us. Things concerning your son. Things concerning our future. Things concerning our sin and the reality of death. We thank you that Christ has come and he has abolished death. And that in heaven there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying. Lord, while we live in this world and experience these things, uphold us. Give us a strong faith. And grant us a strong hope that we may not lose hold of Christ, but gaze upon him and his greatness and his glory and his grace. We pray in his name. Amen.